Well, thank you, Rob. Um, it is wonderful to be here. It almost feels like uh, we haven't been away, uh, but we have, and it's been nearly a year. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it, uh, how time uh, flies? Uh, but it's uh, a special blessing uh, to be here. It's a special blessing just to, to worship with you uh, this morning. A wonderful thing to worship together, and uh, very much a family uh, here, and uh, still feel very much part of the church family here. And uh, you're all such a blessing, probably more of a blessing than you uh, realize. And, um, uh, but it's a pleasure uh, to be here. Um, we are doing well in Oxford. Um, it took the children a little while to adjust. Uh, it's quite a, a change, a different place, uh, different in a great many ways. I mean, ironically, we're here today and uh, uh, there's a young man by the name of Louis. Um, who you may have met, who's moving to Cardiff, and he will be here next week. And this is his last Sunday in Oxford today. And so around about now, they're going to be praying the Lord's blessing upon him as he comes here. And uh, we're here, and of course, next week we'll be back uh, there. But uh, Louis a, a great young man, and he'll be a blessing uh, to you all here, uh, I'm sure. Um, okay, well, without further ado, let's open the Word of God together, shall we? Uh, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, before we moved, um, I think one of the last um, things, or close to the last things that I was teaching on uh, here, was on the subject of spiritual gifts, on giftedness. Now, this morning, um, I'm going to be speaking on something that's perhaps on the other end of the spectrum to giftedness, and that is weakness. Weakness. Now, the subject of weakness is not a particularly easy one uh, to talk about. And it's not a particularly easy one uh, to talk about because we don't really want to be weak. We don't like to think of ourselves as being weak. We don't really want to talk about our weaknesses. Uh, and in many ways, that's quite a natural thing. Uh, we live in a, in a culture which tends to look down on weakness and tends to admire strength. Uh, and I think the reason for that... Um, the reason why we find it so difficult to talk about uh, weakness, and you could probably come up with many reasons and, and, and many thoughts, uh, but at the end of the day, the reason I find my own weakness so difficult to deal with is because of my pride. Because of my pride. Uh, and so often we think in the Christian life and even in Christian ministry, um, that our biggest hindrances are our biggest weaknesses. We look at our lives and we see our weaknesses and we think, you know, if only I was more eloquent, then I would be a, a good teacher. If only I was more intelligent, then I would be a good witness. If only I was a bit more charismatic, then people would pay attention and people would listen to me. If only I was... Uh, stronger in this way, if only I was better in that way, then I could be useful to the Lord. Then I could be used by the Lord. 
You see, so often we think that our biggest hindrances in life are our biggest weaknesses, when in reality, our biggest hindrance is not our weakness, our biggest hindrance is our pride. And our weaknesses, far from making us useless, actually make us useful to the Lord. Because our weaknesses humble us. And because when we become aware of our weakness, it brings us to a place of humility, our weakness therefore becomes a gateway to God's grace to work in our lives. In James chapter 4 and verse 6, James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if we are to be useful to the Lord, if we are to be used by the Lord, what we really need is not to be a a better orator or to be more intelligent or to be a more charismatic personality or all of those kinds of things, as useful as those things can be in their own kind of way. But fundamentally, what we really need is God's grace at work in our lives. And the Bible tells us God gives his grace to the humble. And it is our weaknesses that make us aware of our weakness and thus humbles us and thus becomes, in a sort of paradoxical way, a gateway for God to work in our lives by his grace. God works in and through our weaknesses. And God does so for a reason. For a reason. And that's what we're going to consider together this morning. And so our verse for today, and it's just one verse mainly we're going to focus on, is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 11. And let me just read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 7, sorry, I think I said verse 11. Verse 7. The Apostle Paul says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Let me read that verse one more time. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. We thank you that by your spirit, you open our hearts, you open our eyes, you enable us to understand the wonderful truth of your word and we ask lord by your spirit as we have your word open before us today that you would minister to encourage and bless each and every one of us father it is our desire to live lives that honor you it is our desire to serve you it is our desire to love you and so lord we recognize that in all of these things we cannot do these things on our own we need your help we need your power We need your grace. 
And so, Father, as we have your word open to us today, I pray that you would speak into our hearts, that we might recognize these things, that we might understand these things, and thus we may be able to live out these things in our lives unto your glory. And so bless this time now. Bless your word to our hearts as we give you praise, honor, and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, now, there's a well-known saying, I'm sure you've heard it, that says, you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't judge a book by its cover. And of course, uh, it's a saying uh, of, of contrast. It's making a contrast. It, it means, basically, that what's on the outside does not necessarily indicate what's on the inside. The outward appearance of something does not necessarily reveal the inward reality of something. Uh, and it's a saying that's become uh, common in our culture because we are all prone to do just that, aren't we? We're prone to judge books by their covers. We are attracted to the cover. We are attracted and impressed by the outward. If we are impressed by the outward, we assume that everything contained within must be good and wonderful. However, if we're put off by the outward, we assume that everything contained within must be bad. Um, in fact, not so long ago, I actually found myself literally judging books by their covers. Um, I decided to go buy a novel. hadn't read one in a while, so I went down the supermarket, and there I was looking at the books. I didn't know any of the authors. I didn't know any of the books. But there I was in my mind thinking, oh, that looks like a good book. Oh, no, I don't think that one looks like a good book. And then I suddenly realized, I have no idea if that's a good book or if that's a bad book. There I was, literally judging a book by its cover. And, oh, that's a pretty nice cover. That looks fun. Oh, that looks boring. But you see, I had no idea what was inside those books. I had no idea whether the good books were good or bad. You cannot judge a book by its cover. And, of course, it's true of many things in life and not just books. It's true of people. It's true of places. It's true of preachers. And it was certainly true of the Apostle Paul. And it is true of each and every one of us here today. Notice again what Paul says at the beginning of verse 7. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Notice, first of all, the contrast, and it's a dramatic contrast. On the one hand, we have the treasure. On the other hand, we have the earthen vessel. The glorious treasure, as we shall see back in verse 6, the treasure of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, contained in the earthen vessel, the weak, fragile vessel of the human body through which the truth of Christ is conveyed to men. And so the first thing, as we begin to look at this verse, um, for us to understand really is the context in which Paul is writing. Now, the Apostle Paul, um, he had his enemies. He had his enemies throughout his life and ministry. He had enemies inside of the church. He had enemies outside of the church. 
uh, in the context of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul's enemies were those outside of the church. They were false teachers. Teachers who claimed the name of Christ, but were seeking to lead people away from the truth about Christ. Seeking to lead people away from the truth of the word of God. Uh, And this kind of ministry was something that was very serious and something that Paul took very seriously. Uh, But the false teachers that were about, they knew that if they were to succeed in leading people away from the truth, and particularly the truth that the Apostle Paul was proclaiming, they needed to discredit Paul. Because they knew that if they could get people to reject the Apostle Paul, then maybe they could get people to reject the teaching of the Apostle Paul and thus turn away from the the true teaching of the Word of God and turn to their own false teaching. And so that's what they went about doing in the city of Corinth. They went around attacking the Apostle Paul, and they did so in the most personal way. They attacked him personally. They pointed out his personal weaknesses. Now, that's often what people will do, even today, when they cannot argue on the basis of truth. They cannot disprove what is true, so they change track and they attack the person rather than the message that they bring. And that's exactly what was happening here in Corinth. They were attacking the Apostle Paul personally. Let me give you a few examples. Later on in this letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, Paul, speaking of these people and how they viewed him and what they said about him, said these people, they're saying that Paul's letters... Though they are weighty and powerful, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. And so, yeah, okay, Paul's a pretty good writer, but the reality is, you know, he has no presence. He has no charisma. You know, he has no no sort of speech that is in any way impressive. You know, they may have even said, you know, this guy, you know, you know, you, you might think that he's something, but just look at him. Look at him as he gets up and talks to people. I mean, the guy's a joke. Is this the great apostle Paul? Are you kidding me? The great apostle Paul wouldn't uh, sort of look like that. He wouldn't uh, speak in that kind of a manner. So they criticized his physical presence. He had no presence. He had no charisma. He wasn't a great orator. Uh, Another element to this we find in Galatians chapter 4, because in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul, speaking to the Galatians, said to them, my trial which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, writing this a few years earlier than his letter to the Corinthians, he makes reference to a trial in his flesh. Uh, And it would appear, and most commentators believe, based upon evidence within the scriptures, uh, that Paul, when he arrived at Galatia, had some serious eye condition that apparently, according to Galatians 4.14, led people to despise him. That he looked in such a manner that people would think, oh, I'm not looking at him. Oh, I can't talk to him. 
And yet Paul commends the Galatians because they didn't respond to him like other people did. They said, you didn't despise me and reject me because of the way I looked, because of the condition that I had. Rather than that, you received me. And Paul commends the Galatians for that. But you can just imagine Paul's critics. Oh, the guy, he's got no presence. He's got no charisma. He's not a great orator. And and look at the state of him. He's repulsive to look at. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we read again, Paul said to the Corinthians in his first letter, in verses 1 and on, he said, I, uh, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, but I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. And so we see Paul again as a man who was prone to weakness, who was prone to fear, who was prone to trembling. And and so you can see all of these things provided Paul's critics with great ammunition. Paul was not an outwardly impressive guy, they would say. Look at him. He's not a great speaker. He's not a great communicator. He's not very charismatic. He doesn't look very good. I mean, you wouldn't want him being the front man of your church organization or operation, I mean, who's going to come to the church if the the guy at the front looks like Paul, if he talks like Paul? And so all of these things, Paul's critics, these false teachers, they, they used against him and they mocked him and they ridiculed for him. And they thought if we can discredit Paul, then we can discredit his ministry and we can lead people away from the truth. You know, and so the whole idea of their ministry was, look, God would not use a guy like Paul. I mean, just look at him. God wouldn't use a guy like that. You know, God would choose someone charismatic. God would choose someone with presence. God would choose someone who was a great communicator. God would choose somebody who was uh, great to look at. He wouldn't choose someone like Paul. So Paul's message cannot be from God. Paul must just be some crazy guy who's just making this stuff up. So don't pay any attention to Paul. Come after us. We have the truth. Because look how good I am at speaking. Look how good I am to look at. Look how charismatic I am, etc., etc. And and so all of this posed a problem for the Apostle Paul. uh, Because Paul knew that if people were convinced to reject him, then they may well be convinced to reject reject, uh, the truth that he proclaimed. And as always, Paul was far more concerned about the truth than he was about himself. Uh, And so what does Paul do then in response uh, to this? How does Paul respond to all these accusations that were made against him? I mean, how would you respond? How would you feel if these things came against you? I mean, would you go on the attack? Would you defend yourself? Uh, Would you deny everything? Would you seek to prove people wrong? Well, there's a little bit of a problem here. Uh, And that is the fact that all those things that these people said about Paul, about his appearance, about his speech, they they were actually all true. Paul wasn't a great orator. Paul wasn't someone with great charisma. Paul didn't have great physical presence. He wasn't, you know, wonderful to look at. All of those things were true. And so what does Paul do? How does Paul respond to this? Well, he simply acknowledges that he is all of those things. 
You say I'm weak, you know what? I'm weak. You say I'm not particularly charismatic, well, you know what? No, I'm not. You say my speech is contentable, well, yes, it is. You say I'm not particularly pleasant to look at, well, that's fine. There's nothing I can do about it. It's just the way it is. Paul didn't seek to deny it. He didn't seek to defend it. He just confessed that it all was indeed the case. And here's the thing. While all of those things that they said about Paul were true, the conclusion they drew from those things was false. All of those things, Paul's limitations, his inabilities, his liabilities, all of those things did not mean that Paul could not be used by the Lord. All of those things did not mean that what Paul said couldn't be from the Lord. All of those things did not mean Paul couldn't be a servant of the Lord. In fact, and here's the paradox again, it was precisely because of all those things that Paul was used by the Lord. And that was the case. Why? So that through Paul, the Lord would demonstrate his own power and reveal his own glory. And so this is what we see here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. And so in the rest of our time together, I just want to give you three simple points. Three simple things that were true of the Apostle Paul and that are true of every believer in Jesus Christ here today. And I'll tell you what they are right up front. Number one, you are an earthen vessel. Paul was and you are too. You are an earthen vessel. Number two, you are an earthen vessel filled with treasure. You are an earthen vessel filled with treasure. And number three, very simply, God uses earthen vessels filled with treasure. And so you are an earthen vessel. You are an earthen vessel filled with treasure. And God uses earthen vessels filled with treasure. So let's just take a look at those three points briefly. Number one, the first thing to know is you are an earthen vessel. So what is an earthen vessel? Uh, Well, the word earthen is literally the word earth or dirt or mud. The word vessel speaks of a container uh, or a pot. And so an earthen vessel is a a pot, a container made out of dirt, made out of earth or made out of clay. And so another way to say earthen vessel would be a clay pot, a clay pot. So you are a clay pot. Did you know that? You are a clay pot. This is what it says. Now, these kind of vessels, these clay pots were the common vessels, the common pots, the common containers of Paul's day. If you were rich and wealthy and you had um, valuable things, you might have bronze vessels, bronze pots, or you might even have gold pots. Uh, But earthen vessels, clay pots, they were sort of like the bog standard pot. They were common, they were cheap, they were breakable, they were replaceable. They had no value in and of themselves. And these kind of pots were used to contained to hold a great many different things depending upon what the owner decided to use it for and occasionally they may be used to sort of um, hide something of value but most commonly these kind of pots were used for common things 
Uh, an equivalent today may be the sort of cardboard boxes you have in your garage, okay, that you've put in there 20 years ago and you've forgotten even exist, okay? And the only reason it's in your garage is because it contains something. You're not really bothered about the cardboard box, are you? That's not relevant. It's what's in the cardboard box. And because it's been there for about 20 years, what's in the box probably isn't very valuable anyway. But that's the kind of vessel uh, that we are talking about here. Just something that you put your junk in and hide away for the next 20 years and forget about exists. And it's not even the junk. It's just the box that contains the junk. Now, another use of these clay pots, and forgive me here as we approach lunchtime, uh, but I think it's a significant point, is the fact that clay vessels, clay pots back in those days, were also used as a container for human waste. Now, they didn't have any sewers or sewage. Uh, and the reason I say that is because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 20, Paul makes a reference to clay pots. He says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but there are also vessels of wood and clay. Some of those vessels are for honor, and he's speaking about the, the gold vessels and the silver vessels, but some of those vessels are for dishonor speaking of the, the clay pots. Uh, and so it seems that Paul's idea there in making that contrast is that, that there are some vessels that contain honorable things, valuable things, but there are other vessels that contain dishonorable things, uh, even um, to the point of human waste and so on. And so, so clay pots themselves um, were not seen as being worth uh, anything. They were just a bog-standard container, typically fit for the junk and the waste. If you had something valuable, then you might have a bronze pot or a gold pot, things that looked outwardly a lot more impressive. If you saw a gold pot, you would think, oh, there must be something important. There must be something good inside. If you saw a clay pot, you would think, well, you know what? That clay pot, it's not valuable. It's cheap. It's not beautiful. It's plain. It's not strong. It's weak. Um, if it breaks, we can just get another one. It's easily replaceable. Um, you would assume from the pot that what's inside is of little value. And so, you see, bringing it into the context then of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and he's speaking of himself. He's saying, I am one of these clay pots. I am one of these clay pots that in of myself have no value. In of myself is not beautiful. In of myself is not strong. In of myself has no attributes to boast of. I could be broken, cast to one side and be replaced. This is how Paul sees himself. Nothing special about him. No outstanding beauty, no strength to impress, no wealth, none of those things. Paul is basically saying, look, we're just ordinary people. I'm just an ordinary person. There's nothing special about me at all. And so this is the first point, and it's an important one. And that is there really are no superheroes in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes you read through the pages of the Old Testament and you, you, you read about, or you read the high points of the lives of Abraham and Moses and David. And, and sometimes you can look at these people and even look at the Apostle Paul and you think, goodness me, now th these must have been like superhuman people to be used by the Lord in the way they did. Th th these guys, they, they must have been different to me. 
I mean, I, I could never be used by the Lord in that kind of way. But you see, they were earthen vessels. They were just clay pots. They were no more valuable, no different to you or I here this morning. You know, we can do the same looking around the world today. We can even do the same looking around the church. You can look at others and think, oh, gosh, you know, I, I could never be used by the Lord the way that person does. Oh, outwardly, they look so impressive. Oh, that, I, I just can't. You know, you're an earthen vessel. They're an earthen vessel. We're all earthen vessels. We're all clay pots in the church of Jesus Christ. And the first step to really being used by God is accepting and understanding this. Because sometimes I want to be a gold pot. You know, no one pays any attention to the clay pot. But the gold pot, that attracts attention. In fact, if you go uh, to the Tower of London and you go see the crown jewels, what you'll find there is a lot of gold pots. And people travel all around the world to see these gold pots. And there's nothing inside of them anymore. But the pot looks amazing. And everyone wants to see the pot. And sometimes I, I want to be a gold pot. I, I want some of that attention. I want people to look at me and say, wow. You see, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. You're not a gold vessel. Don't desire to be a gold vessel. You're a clay pot. Know it. Accept it. Embrace it. You're a clay pot. A useless clay pot. Useless, that is, until your owner puts something of value inside of you. Point number two. You are an earthen vessel. You are a clay pot. Secondly, you are a vessel filled with treasure. You may be a clay pot, but you're a clay pot filled with treasure. Verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So contained within us, within our worthless, useless clay pot of this human body, is contained great treasure. Great treasure. Now, what is the treasure exactly? We'll just take a look back at verse 1 of chapter 4. And we'll just read the section leading up to verse 7. Paul says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, uh, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, we could spend a long time in that section, and particularly in verse 6. And then he says in verse 7, but we have this treasure. Well, what is this treasure? Uh, well, it's the light that has been shone in our hearts. It is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful phrase. 
a wonderful phrase. It really speaks simply of the truth and the reality of the gospel. The truth and reality of Jesus Christ. That God became a man in the person of Christ. That he came to this earth and that he died on a cross and that he was buried and he rose again the third day. And through his death and resurrection, he provides forgiveness to all who would believe and eternal life. And more than that, Christ himself comes to dwell in the heart of all who believe through the Holy Spirit who is given. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us, thus making us partakers of the divine nature. And so ultimately the treasure Paul is speaking of in verse 7 is Christ himself. Jesus Christ in whom the scripture says is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom there is to be found every spiritual blessing. Through whom sin and death have been overcome. Through whom we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see here is the contrast. We are the clay pots. Brittle, weak replaceable and we have placed within us the most glorious treasure that exists in this world that is even Christ himself and the treasure within transcends the weakness without the treasure transcends all our human weaknesses all our human abilities all our frailties and all of those kinds of things In other words, very simply, if Christ is in you, Christ can use you. That brings us to our third and final point. Number one, you are earthen vessels, clay pots. Number two, you have treasure in your clay pot. Number three, very simply, God uses earthen vessels filled with treasure. And if you are an earthen vessel and you are filled with treasure, then God will use you. And he does it that way for a reason. Take a look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God uses clay pots, and he does so by choice. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? Verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. And in writing those words, Paul, no doubt, was very aware of himself. He knew that he had been called by God, yet he knew he was foolish according to the flesh. He knew he was weak 
according to the flesh. He knew he was despised in this world. Yet he knew he was called by God. And he knew when people looked at him, they wouldn't think anything of him. Because he was just a clay pot. He was weak. He wasn't charismatic. He had no presence. He didn't have anything to impress anybody. But yet God was using him. God was using him mightily. And so how do you reconcile those two things? This guy, God shouldn't be using a guy like that, but God is using a guy like that. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us it's not Paul that's working. It tells us that it's the Lord that's working through Paul. And so, oftentimes, one of the things that stops us from being used by the Lord or stops us from stepping out in serving the Lord is our own feelings of inadequacy. We think we are not able. We think we are not capable. We look at our weaknesses and abilities and oftentimes we then look at other people's perceived strengths and abilities and we look at ourselves in light of them and we think, you know what, God can't use me. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. But you see, according to the scriptures, the very thing that we often assume disqualifies us from service is what actually qualifies us to serve the Lord. You say, I am weak. Yes, you are weak. You say, I am inadequate. Yes, you are inadequate. We are all weak. We are all inadequate. We are all clay pots. And that is the way God has made you to be. And this sometimes is one of the most difficult things to accept. And this is what often comes down to pride. We want to be more than we are. We want people to think more of us than they do. We want to be that gold vessel. We want to be that bronze vessel even, but just not a clay pot. You see, what we need is humility to accept the fact, you know what? In myself, I am nothing. In myself, I have nothing. But God has put treasure in this earthen vessel. And because God has put treasure in this earthen vessel, God can and will use me as I submit my life unto him. It's so often pride that hinders us in our service of the Lord. And so God has put this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? 1 Corinthians one twenty nine, So that no flesh could glory in his presence. So that when people look at you and they see what God is doing through you, they look and they kind of laugh and think, how on earth is that happening? You don't have that ability. You can't do that. And you're right, yes, I don't have that ability and I can't do that. And the only answer, it is God who is at work in and through my life. And so the attention and the glory doesn't come to me, but the attention and the glory goes where it is supposed to go. It goes unto the Lord. And back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, and this is where we close. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? This is God's purpose that the excellence of the power, that is what God does in and through us, may be of God and not of us. 
In other words, when people look at us, they see that it's not my power, but it's God's power in me. And it's God's power working through me. And so often we want to present it a little bit differently. Present ourselves as strong a little bit. So we can steal a little bit of the glory. Don't be a glory stealer. The glory belongs to the Lord. Don't try and thieve it. You're a clay pot. Remember that. You're a clay pot filled with treasure. And God uses clay pots filled with treasure. And so, I know all of you pretty well, most of you. A few faces I don't know so well. But each and every one of you here this morning is absolutely qualified to serve the Lord, uniquely and wonderfully. And there may be some of you here that are not doing what you know you should be doing for the Lord. And that's okay right now, but I would encourage you to go before the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord afresh what it is he wants you to do, how it is he wants you to serve him, how it is he wants you to serve his people here in his church. And if you're afraid and if you're fearful, don't worry about that. If you feel inadequate, don't worry about that. If you feel weak, don't worry about that. All of those things qualify you for service. Just ask the Lord for his strength. Ask the Lord for his grace. And you will find his grace is sufficient for you. And the Lord will use you. And the Lord will bless you. And he will use you to be a blessing to his people in his church. And you know, the more we serve each other in the body of Christ, the more blessing there is to go around. And the more blessing there is to go around, the more the Lord's church is built up and the more glory goes into the Lord. And ultimately, that's what it's all about, is it not? It's about the glory of the Lord. It's about the glory of the Lord. And so the question you should always ask, and this is a question I have to ask myself every week, is if I looked like an idiot, but God was glorified, would I still be willing to do it? If doing it made me look like an idiot before men, yet through what I did, God got the glory, would I be willing to do it? Am I willing to be a fool for Christ? Am I willing to be a fool before men? strikes at the pride of the human heart. And it's oftentimes a much more difficult thing to wrestle with than we realize. But it's all about him. And it's all for him. So I would encourage you, lay your life down. Present your body as a living sacrifice unto him. Commit yourself to serving him in the grace that he provides. And see what the Lord will do. And I will tell you, it will be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, we thank you for your grace. By which we have been saved, in which we stand, and by which we are enabled to serve you. 
Lord, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your most marvelous light. And we thank you that even though we are just clay pots, you have filled us with treasure. And we thank you that you desire to use us, even in spite of our weaknesses and and our failings and our faults and all of those things. But yet, in all of those things, we can find that your grace is sufficient for us. So by your Spirit, Lord, I pray, would you produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. By your Spirit, would you bring your gifts to your people and the confidence to step out in those giftings to serve you for the edification of your church and for your glory. And I just pray your blessing upon this church. Lord, bless each and every one here today. We think of Pastor Kevin and Jody as they're away and the family. We pray your blessing upon them, that you would keep them safe, that you would give them a blessed and refreshed time away. And Lord, I pray that you would just use this church. Use each and every one to be an encouragement and a blessing to one another. And I pray that you would use this church to be a wonderful witness to the truth and the power of the gospel in this city. Lord, we do give you thanks and praise for all that you've done for us in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.